I'm Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is Kitchen Table Cult. Where two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hi, Kieran. Hi, Eve. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) We, We disappeared. Yeah, for like a month, a little over a month. I mean, we, everybody probably understands but um shall we catch everybody up on what was going on in our world so that you know they actually understand besides quarantine because quarantine's a lot right oh quarantine is so much like it's ridiculous it's been like every every time i thought that i had like had a chance to catch my breath over the last month like something else happened and it was just it was brutal. Yeah. It's it's been a lot for the last four weeks. Apparently it's been four weeks. It feels like decades, honestly. I can't remember. Yeah, no, it's, it's just like a lifetime ago. Um, so what's been going on? What's quarantine been like for you and what's been going on? Uh quarantine has been up and down and hard and like as more time goes on the more fatigued I get but also like the more I see people being like oh we should open up and I get angry and I'm like you clearly did not experience isolation as a child and it shows you need to grow up (laughs) just because you're bored doesn't mean it's safe to come out yet (laughs) exactly like go back to your room (laughs) keep playing your video games (laughs) we'll tell you when it's safe oh my god jesus yeah, but no, it was it's been it's been rough. I've been doing um a lot of community organizing and the uh neighborhood organizing that I've been doing has like a website now and um This is all around rent stuff, uh, right? Yeah. Some of it well, the community organizing with my block is mutual aid and then my building is organizing around like how we're going to be paying rent, not like this month or next month, but like three months from now when, you know, because apparently we're opening up again and it's already starting to spike again. So like, who knows what even it's going to be like in, you know, August. And uh, one of my uh, a like queer organizer in San Francisco was caught in gunfire and died and that was really brutal it was someone who I didn't know very well but was just a lovely lovely sweetest person on the planet and like I, I don't understand how gun violence can exist in San Francisco when everyone is supposed to be home, but here we are. Shit, yeah. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's been a lot. And I had, I had like two job interviews. Um, I didn't get either of them, which also just like sent a whole fun imposter syndrome, anxiety spiral that mm-hmm. like I'm just now getting out of. So it's been, it's been, it's been rough. It's been hard and being stuck in like the 10 block radius of my apartment has not helped and seeing people like I went out yesterday I was gonna go for a walk and Alameda County is under a like mandatory mask ordinance if you're going to be anywhere where you could run into another person and I went to like one of the grocery stores that's near me and 
I was like one of three people wearing a mask mm-hmm. and I'm just like really this is not this is not okay yeah yeah that's rough you've also been doing um another thing for CRHE oh yeah slash yeah, dealing been, with crazies um, on the internet yeah yeah I've been part of our COVID response uh, organizing and retooling our website and our resources and organizing volunteers around that. And then there was some other internet drama that Mike Pompeo got involved in that sent a ton of heat our way. And if you have questions about that, if you're a patron, we have a Slack and you can ask the questions there and I'll be happy. To <laughs> yeah, that's the thing that happened since quarantine. We set up a Slack. We've got some of our, our patrons hanging out. It's not a big crowd, though, um, and y'all should come join. Um, I think that'd be really great to have you guys, um, you know, talking and sharing. People are, are doing, you know, sharing news articles and, and venting, and um, it's just kind of nice to be able to have that, like, community space that's safe. Yeah, it's been really nice to have and share pictures of Carrot Dot. <laughs> yeah, we have a we have I, a whole pets channel. I can talk. We have a whole pets yeah. channel. Um, I keep sharing my chicken videos to Instagram instead of there, and I need to like upload them all so everybody can see how crazy. Yeah, you got. Chickens. I got chickens. What, yeah. What have you been up to for the last <laughs> month? Um, I think I had them, or was about to get them when I we recorded last. I don't know. God. Um, I think they were like just hatching. Yeah, okay. They were still yellow and fluffy. They were, okay, so I just got them, they were like five days old. Um, so I moved, and y'all know about that. And then I had my two youngest siblings stay with me for two weeks. My mom is a nurse, and, and she got exposed at work. And so she sent my youngest siblings out to stay with me um, while she you know, was waiting out her, her incubation period and she doesn't have it. She's fine, but it was really fun to have them here. But it was also one of those things where it's like, you'd, I don't feel like I had any, a privacy for two weeks, which is like, it's okay, yeah. but it's just a, it's a different universe. You know, you're the, the adult in the room all the time. So you're always on. Um, and then as soon as they left, finals started. And so I was, you know, coaching my students through their, their final papers and prepping finals and grading and grading and grading and grading. And everything's all in and the semester's done. And my God, I'm so proud of these kids. Like, they they worked through so many technological obstacles, so many scheduling obstacles, so many just mental health obstacles to be able to to end the semester well and they did um I'm really proud of of the work that they they put in um but I know we're all just we were flagging and tired and you know zoom is really hard it's teaching on zoom is like it's so emotionally draining I think this is one of the the big reasons I didn't have any like bandwidth to record was Mm -hmm. if you're teaching on zoom most of my students didn't have like reliable enough bandwidth to like have video feeds up because they're all rural. Mm. And so it was, yeah. I, I'm putting out this energy to a bunch of blank tiles that are muted. And like, I don't know how anybody's reacting. And so it was just like, you know, performing for, you know, a blank wall a couple mm-hmm. of hours every day. Um, and I, I mean, 
I guess it worked. They, they did seem to have engaged the material really well, but you know, you can't tell until you, you start getting some like feedback later and it's, it's just very hard, you know, day to day. So I'm, I'm glad that's yeah. done. And yeah, I got chickens and <laughs> one of them, <laughs> oh my God, chickens are so dumb. If you, if you have trouble with, um, you know, animal death, you should maybe skip ahead 30 seconds. But, um, one of the chickens died, I think probably right after we were recorded last time, actually. It <laughs> drowned in less than a centimeter of water in the little Tupperware container we had in the oh my God. crate. It was so sad. Mm-hmm. It just, like, I guess it tripped and then just never got up. And, and so Aww. it was just flat out in the container and soaking wet. And, you know, I, I was able to revive it and gave it, gave it some chest compressions and coughed up some water and we blow dried it and... I just kind of sat there hyperventilating for hours and then it expired in the wee hours of the morning. So I buried a chick outside on Easter morning, which was very weird. <laughs> and I was like, well, this is a little on the nose even for me. <laughs> it is a bit. And, um, <laughs> uh, but the other four have made it so far. They've been doing fine. They've finally feathered out and I moved them out to the, the shed behind the house. I've got a little shed that somebody had had chickens in before and I cleaned it out and got it all ready for them and put them out. They've been out there for a few nights now and they're doing fine. Getting all, nice. getting, you know, they're looking like teenage chickens with real adult feathers and just kind of awkward yeah. looking. So that's been good. And yeah, I just, after, after the semester was over, I had, I had some other things going on. It's a health thing that kind of took me out for a week and, you know, just trying to get my reset, I guess, to get my head on straight after the semester. It's just been a bit of a struggle. So I, I'm feeling, I feeling like myself again for a while. We were going back in there like every other day being like, do you have a brain? <laughs> nope. Okay. Yeah. Tomorrow. Do you have a brain? I have a brain, but I don't have a brain. You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's just, yeah. PTSD triggers are just so hit or miss. It's <sighs> yeah, they really are, and I feel like the pandemic has been just exacerbating it. Like there's just this level. Like we tried to have a, a coronation, and it was so hard to relax and like not do anything because you can't turn off from the fact that. You're in quarantine and there's a virus and people aren't paying attention to social distancing. So it's hard to like even get outside and it just feels so familiar and scary sometimes after like growing up inherently. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's been one of the other things is like, so I have the ability to grow outside. I've got my garden and I've been you know, doing a fair bit of yard work and, and gardening. So I've, I've been outside a lot, which has been really nice. I feel very lucky to be able to have that. And like, I have a spare room and I've had people be like, I'm losing my job slash I might need to move out of my apartment early slash like, so like I might have like a roommate, you know, do, do some crisis, like playing shell mm-hmm. games with my, my spare bedroom and, and random friends. But, but I think that the hard thing has been like, the people who aren't taking it seriously, who are still hanging out and like feeling left out, which is very much, very, very much how my, my high school years were. It was like, 
I was locked at home. All my friends were like doing youth group stuff and I wasn't allowed to go because I had to babysit and my parents didn't want me hanging yep. out with boys. So it's like really just it. There's a, there's a lot of little micro triggers there that I'm like, I'm fine with this. Like I rationally know that this is a different situation and like I am yeah. making this choice voluntarily because I am trying to protect, you know, the people that I live around and, you know, some of them are immunocompromised and I want to be safe, but like, it's, it's weird. It's weird watching people hang out and like not take it seriously. It's weird having this like ambient anxiety everywhere where it's like, like you're saying, you can't turn it off. Like, you know, like things aren't normal and this, this break is not a break. This is not restful. This is, this is, because everything the bottom's falling out of the world. Yeah, exactly. Um, speaking of, I, I need to finish this. <laughs> we were talking on Twitter recently about um, Octavia Butler's The Parable of the Sower. And yes. I was thinking maybe we could do a like kitchen table cold book club. Like on it. the Slack. So if you guys are interested in getting that and reading it with us, that would be a reread for me and I think a first time read for you. Okay. Yeah, it's my first time reading yeah. it. Yeah. It's great. It's it's a lot. It feels really very real good. Right now. It's it, it's not it's, it's a dystopian novel, but it's not it's not your usual like shock and awe we're gonna like horrify the reader into like realizing how bad things are. It's instead a right. things are really fucked and you already know that here's how to, here's a way forward. And it's actually very hopeful. Yeah. So join us, join us on the Slack. Um, it's up. The information about it is in our Patreon. So if you're a patron, just go log in and you should be able to see it there and click the button. And if the button doesn't work, tell me and I will reset the <laughs> link because they have like a 30 day expiration and I forget Thank which you. day we're on now. So, yeah. Karen, our tech wizard. Yeah. I try. <laughs> um, so because I have a brain today, I have asked Karen if they would mind if we talked about the Salvation Army because I've been mad about it for forever and I keep saying yes. that like when I have a brain we're going to do it and I have a brain and I'm prepped and can we do it? Yes, let's do it. Let's, uh, let's get into something that isn't Okay, okay, okay. So one of the things that like reminded me of this is like, I mean, we'll, 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 we'll talk more about like the, the whole glitter glittery idea of sex trafficking trafficking and how that's such a like an alluring uh missionary ish cause for conservative white christians in this country right. um but you know like there's a lot of urban legends around um human trafficking and sex trafficking right and mm-hmm. you know some of the ones that have been going around in recent years are kind of like those like you know, watch out, like, somebody will, like, sneak into your car in a parking lot and take you and stuff like that. Right. I mean, the whole movie Taken is, is just oh an my absurd God. Yeah. fantasy about it's – a, it's a patriarchal fantasy. It's, it's like it – It's really like, is, yeah. Like, the white dude's wet dream of how he gets to save his daughter from the, you know, sexually oppressive brown person. Right. <laughs> and and this is not really like something that's that's true. Like this doesn't ha- 
happen, even though it's such a, a like a cultural cons like construct that yeah. we we recreate and and pass on. And one of the recent iterations of this has been um, like. I saw this briefly go past on Twitter where somebody was resharing it from a conservative friend's Facebook feed. So I can't find the original um, post to show it to you guys. But the, the gist was that watch out because if your state has a mandatory masks in public policy, people will start going door to door and ask you if you have a mask and if you're wearing masks and they'll, they'll give you a mask to make you wear it and it'll be like have chloroform or some drug in it and they'll traffic you from that they'll kidnap you which <laughs> what? it's just um you know the, the 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 cult of of like white female sexuality as the pinnacle of uh sexual desirability is just really really fucked up like no one's doing this that's not how any of this works this is not at all this is not physically possible on so many levels yeah like one you'd have to break social distancing to go to someone's door and be like let me put this mask (laughs) on you like first off i mean it's, it's like it's like the old myth of like razor blades and the halloween candy like yeah. No one's doing this. Stop talking about it. Or better yet, better yet, weed in the Halloween candy. Because let me tell you. Oh, something. we're definitely going to waste. Nobody is giving away their weed for yeah, free. Yeah, we're definitely going to waste our weed for free on, on <laughs> yeah. kids who won't appreciate I'm it. Definitely, the thing that I definitely want to do with my weed is get a kid high accidentally. That's totally. No one would do this. So no, yeah, and like no. the fact that like these stories keep getting passed on is such a. It's such. It's so characteristic of this fantasy of both, like, what society is like with this, like, othering stuff. And then also, mm-hmm. like, your your position in society as someone who's, like, your sexuality is so desirable that people would <laughs> go to such lengths to kidnap you. And, like, right. you're also so vulnerable. Like, we have to keep you constantly in fear. Um, of this yeah, happening like to you're you. You're so powerful and also so weak at the same you're time. You're so desirable and also so weak at the same time. It's, it really doesn't yeah. make any sense. But it's been going yeah. on for fucking ever. And here's where we get to Salvation Army. Okay. So when did you first, like, become aware of the Salvation Army and who they are and what they do? I mean, they were just, like, such a part of every church that I was in growing up that I don't, like, they've just, I've just always been aware of their organization and, like, you know, like, mostly what they do around Christmas time with the Santas mm-hmm. and the, the bell ringing. Like, donations yeah. and the bell ringing, you know, and all of the, like, gift drop-off things that they do. And then when I was... um I don't know, like, eight or nine or so, I got, my mom gave me the, like, biography of Catherine and William Booth to read by, it was, like, part of the Trailblazer series Mm -hmm. or something. Um, That was, like, a kind of, like, 
narrated tale of how they started the Salvation Army and what their beliefs and values were and why it was so cool and how persecuted they were and all that in like the 1800s. Right. We both got given the same, the same book. Um, so I, it was that the first time you realized that they had like an actual like hierarchy that like was imitating an army? Um, yes, I think it was. Okay. Um, so for me, that was too, and I like really didn't know anything about them besides like you could shop there and it was a thrift store and like, that's, you know, they, they rang bells at Christmas. That's about all I knew. And I didn't really know what they did. Um, and they weren't pre, they weren't very prevalent in our churches growing up because our churches were always more involved in things like March of Dimes and pro-life stuff. Mm. Um, but this book was really, really intense for someone that age to read. Um, what do you yeah. remember of the plot? It was like there are these poor persecuted Christians who just wanted to help the poor and the like uh, lowly and and they were, you know, of course, white and God fearing mm-hmm. and they were being persecuted by the church because the church didn't want to hear their hellfire and brimstone and how they were like, you know, hanging out with the poor people and the homeless people and like the beggars and the sick people spreading God's word and telling them that they were sinners and going to hell unless they repented. And then they like somehow fundraised and started this whole organization and they set up like mutual aid basically, Mm -hmm. um, for, for the poor, lowly unwantables of England. (laughs) Yeah. Um, the like main characters are this brother and sister pair who are, orphaned and they're like looking for a family member who's supposed to take care of them and they can't find him and they're like living on the street and then they get picked up by the Salvation Army people and they're just like totally freaked out by this whole thing and they're like is they're basically like is this a cult or is this good should we take their help (laughs) what is what is the deal and the sister gets kidnapped and it's a whole it's a whole thing that really ties into what the Salvation Army was all about when it got started. Yep. What? Okay, so let me find the actual date, because I, I, I forget the actual date of when the Salvation Army was founded. It was the 1880s, and they were in England, and so this is the Victorian era. And yep. what do you know about, like, the social social safety network then like what were what social services were available like what were things like in in 1880s england Mm -hmm. england uh not a whole lot um like there wasn't in my understanding there wasn't really like much of a safety net like you were pretty pretty screwed if you were poor or sick or like a person of color. Yeah, and it, and if I recall correctly, like that was still the point where um, debtors' prison was a thing. So if you were like, yeah. if you were, you know, your rent was outstanding or you hadn't paid a bill or something, you could be put in jail and forced to work um, right. to pay it off. And yeah. like, I think my understanding comes from a lot of Dickens' writing right. at the time, which was basically like 
you live your life as a slave if you're poor. Yeah, and I think that I think that was kind of accurate. But there's and then there's also this like this um you know like this moral panic constantly about oh, yeah. like virtue and values and stuff and and if you were mm-hmm. poor like life was basically set up in such a way that like you were fucked and couldn't abide by those rules. Yeah. Um, which, where have we heard that before? That doesn't sound familiar at all. <laughs> oh my God. So I want to read this poem to you or not a portion of it. Um, yeah. So there's this poem called Angel in the House. And it's, it's, it's really, uh, this, this quintessential moment in Victorian literature that kind of encapsulates like the I what a woman was supposed to be and I'm trying to find it but it's Coventry Patmore is the the author and um it's it's kind of long and it's this this story of you know kind of this ideal woman right right and I'm gonna read this little excerpt man must be pleased but him to please is woman's pleasure down the gulf of his controlled necessities, she casts her best. She flings herself. How often flings for naught and yokes her heart to an icicle or whim whose each impatient word provokes another, not from her, but him. While she, too gentle even to force his penitence by kind replies, waits by, expecting his remorse with pardon in her pitying eyes. And if he, once, by shame oppressed, a comfortable word confers. She leans and weeps against his breast and seems to think the sin was hers. Or any eye to see her charms, at any time she's still his wife, dearly devoted to his arms. She loves with love that cannot tire. And when, ah, woe, she loves alone, though passionate duty love springs higher as grass grows taller round a stone. Wow. <laughs> So it's just, so that's this is like this idea of like what what the ideal woman is supposed right. to be during this time. This is like this cultural totem, and and so you can contrast it with this like crippling poverty, and and just like any woman who's basically hustling at all is going to be running yeah. contrary to that very obnoxious, long-suffering, martyr-like ideal. Yeah. So, uh, the Salvation Army basically got focused on sex trafficking as, like, their thing. They did other stuff. They, they, They ran an orphanage. They fed kids. They, um, they did, yes, you were saying mutual aid, but, like, their big political issue during this time was prostitution and especially trafficking yep. children. Yeah. Do you remember this from the book? The like the kids book? I don't, but it has been like 20 years since I read it. So they say they so. they have to rescue the sister. The sister gets kidnapped to be a sex slave and she's about to be like sent off to the continent, which means Europe, the rest of Europe, and she's like Right. <laughs> drugged and like in a box that's shaped like a coffin this is all very vivid in my mind like i can remember like too much detail so i'm gonna try to keep it short (laughs) but like 
She's, like, <laughs> drugged and, like, nailed shut in this box. And they're, like, she's going to be, like, shipped over. And then, like, the idea was, like, if if a girl had been sold into prostitution, at that point, usually the first time she had sex would be a rape while she was totally drugged. And therefore, she would wake up and, like, realize what had happened and, you know, the, the perpetrator wouldn't be there, but the madam would be like, oh, well, it's too late, and your family's abandoned you, and they sold you to us to pay their debts, so, you know, might as well stick around and, like, earn your keep. Right. Like, you yeah. have nothing left to go for. And so, like, that's the idea that they're, they're, they're tracking in this fucking kid's book that we read when we were, like, nine and ten. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, perfectly normal, wholesome. And they never name it as, like, sex trafficking. They don't really talk about it like that. They they call it white slavery, which is very much the... the... Yeah. (laughs) What does that say to you? What does that that term imply? Jesus. What What does white slavery suggest? Like, slavery, but for white people. But, like, oh, my God. Right. Jesus. Like this is the one that we should be concerned about. Who cares about the rest? Yeah. This is the one that we have right, to like save. This one is bad. This one is the bad kind. Right. And this is the one that's like worth getting into some deep political shit to make a statement to change the law to protect yeah. little white virgin girls from yeah. this but, kind of trafficking. Right. But Slave trade is is perfectly fine because that's not that's not white people and obviously like you know the Salvation Army is so so steeped in racism that they're like clearly you know people of color are not smart and not blessed by God and all of those tropes that we well and, and talked like, about before like slavery had been abolished in England like fifty years before this so there is like there is some like sense of like that that's like done in their minds right. You know the the states are in the middle or like just finishing up a civil war about it. Yeah. But yeah, so it's 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 highlighted as this like this is especially bad in this way that's right. just really gross. But we see echoes of this like all the time. Like as I'm like going through this, I'm like thinking about like remember all those like pop stars in the '90s who like pledged their virginity like publicly. Oh my god! And like yeah. how that was such a big I, deal. I it's like the same kind of thing, like this like obsession mm-hmm. with protecting little white girls' virginity. Yep. As a political issue, has always been a thing. It's yep. fucked. Okay, so Catherine Booth, you were reading in this 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 article um, a little bit about her. What? What do you want our, our listeners to know before I start going into the, the Eliza Armstrong case? Well, Catherine Booth um, did a series, like, she was basically a community organizer who, like, aligned herself with, with her husband, as, you know, you, you have to do in these times, mm-hmm. and did a bunch of, like, she talked nonstop to everybody and did a, a ton of preaching about like the typical fire and brimstone and oh you're you know which is like kind of cool that it's progressive because like a woman's preaching yeah 
Right. Yeah. Like that was kind of surprising to me is like how much she was able to do mm-hmm. as a woman, especially in like the 1860s, 1880s. But it was all because like she was doing it with her husband. And her husband right. And there's this like, like approval. There's stuff. this like there's this concept of like charity mm-hmm. that like was a thing that like rich white ladies did. Yeah. I mean, if you remember Emma. Yes. Yeah, that was like a huge. Uh, yeah, it's the same kind of concept. I mean, it's Emma, Little Women, the same kind of like, oh, these like yeah. upper class white ladies are going to go dote among the poor as their Christian duty. Right. Yeah, and that's kind of what she was doing, right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's what she did a lot of, and you know, wrote and petitioned leaders and stuff that will come into play mm-hmm. later. Um. But she was like a huge, huge kind of public figure at the time, pushing for these changes. right. And they're congregationalists. So it was like pretty standard, like um, I guess what we would think of like Methodist um, beliefs. And they like we'll include a link to the. Um, there's this whole long PDF of the like the Salvation Army's like handbook like a lot of the stuff that they they require members to agree to is like very basic doctrinal stuff and then there's this like code of conduct at the end that you have to take this vow of so she was also she she was also like using her her like work and her charity work to like get recruits for this to join her in doing this work yeah i'm gonna read this little um vow that you have to take at the end of like your your salvation army training it's kind of long sorry (laughs) i will maintain christian ideals in all my relationships with others my family and neighbors my colleagues and fellow salvationists to whom and for whom i am responsible in the wider community i will uphold the sanctity of marriage and of family life i will be a faithful steward of my time and gifts my money and possessions my body and mind and my spirit knowing that i am accountable to god I will abstain from alcoholic, drink, tobacco, the non-medical use of addictive drugs, gambling, pornography, the occult, and all else that could enslave the body or spirit. I will be faithful to the purposes for which God raised up the Salvation Army, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, endeavoring to win others to him, and in his name, caring for the needy and the disadvantaged. I will be actively involved as I am able in the life, work, worship, and witness of the court, giving as large a proportion of my income as possible to support its ministries and the worldwide work of the army. I will be true to the principles and practices of the Salvation Army, loyal to its leaders, and I will show the spirit of salvationism, whether in times of popularity or persecution. And then there's a whole, like, calling Christ to witness this vow and, you know, declare my full determination by God's help to be a true soldier of the Salvation Army. Right. Not a cult at all. Yeah, what does that remind you of? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, all this, like, reminds me of, like, um, professors at conservative colleges and students being required to sign a statement of faith before they join as, like, a contract that they can use to, like, pummel you with if you step out of line. Yeah, like, literally every organization or event or club or whatever that I was a part of had a statement of faith like this that 
you have to agree to. Right. And like and a code of conduct, then, like, social code of conduct. Right. Exactly. And, and it's like, I will do these things. I will like uphold these values and I will always defer to the leadership. And it's really interesting because I was thinking about this earlier um, because one of the things that is fundamental to my organizing also and in keeping like the organizing culture and environment good and healthy and making sure that it like lasts beyond any one person is in having a code of conduct and a shared set of values. But the difference is that I don't put theology in it. And I, I don't say you have to believe like in the Holy Trinity, you have to uphold like these Christian values and you have to like never, ever say anything bad about the leadership. <laughs> Anytime they really ask you to like, yeah, defer to the leadership. It's well, and it's, it's not, that's not really in this, but it's, it, but it's kind of implied in the like, I'm going to live my life in a way that's going to like protect the reputation of the Salvation Army. Right. <laughs> And then yeah. there's this thing I've highlighted, which I'm sure you're going to... Well, and there's also, like, loyal to its Yeah, leaders. oh, yeah, loyal to its leaders, which is, like, entirely discretionary in terms of how you define that. Um, yeah. And then I've highlighted a little bit that I'm sure you're going to have shit to say about this, like, giving my income as large a proportion of my income oh, as my possible. Oh, my God. Yeah. What? What? So- is that well i mean i guess it's i guess i guess a little bit is like the idea of the like it's probably coming out of this like franciscan religious tradition of like living in poverty mm-hmm. is more christ-like right because jesus didn't have possessions like yeah right but right. You, it is to have these kinds of terms laid out is such it's such a cudgel in the hands of the leadership yes and I, you know, I imagine that they, there are pastors out there. I haven't experienced this myself, but, like, if you haven't been tithing for a couple weeks or a couple months and you normally tithe your, your 10% that like you're supposed to, mm-hmm. like, and if you're not, like, they'll call yeah. you up and be like, hey, so where's our donation? Like, we were yeah. counting on that money yeah. and you haven't given it. Yeah. Yeah. Or, like, you know, I my experience with pastors doing this is it was just like become a message from the pulpit where they're like, we know there are a lot of you Mm -hmm. and you know, God says that you have to tithe 10%. So, Oh yeah. It was routine, routine. Like they would like hold it over us, like the building mortgage and be like, yeah, well, you you want to keep meeting here. You got to pay up where they wouldn't say it like that. And and never mind. That like the pastor is drawing a huge salary that like and living in know, a house that's nicer than use. yours, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like you know, any of that could go to paying off the new gym. Like oh. it's just not because it's going for some reason. The pastor needs like three fancy cars, <laughs> right? So this this is not just a like this is not a church group. This is a like low key cult and like. It's, 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 it's not even very low. Well, I mean, there, this requirement of like putting the good of the organization over your, your Mm -hmm. good every single time is always a tell like, it's, it is, it is, it is very culty. And it reminds me a lot of these like, you know, communal living, mutual aid kind of groups that go sideways when they get very like controlling. Yes. Yes. 
there's some good here, but like yes. if it's not voluntary, it's not going to work. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's something that a lot of the kind of uh, lefty cults that, that do kind of that stuff where it's like, no, you have to like, you know, put the good of the organization first and you have to have to always like respect the leadership that you right. Well, and if it's like for it wasn't democratic. If it's being run in a democratic fashion that maybe has more like longevity and like sustainability, but like the Salvation Army is structured like the army. (laughs) Like they have ranks and stations in the hierarchy in order like they called like William Booth, General Booth. Like, yep. in order to preserve this, like, authority to enforce these kinds of restrictions. Um, yep. Okay, so I think we've convinced everybody that this is a cult. We can keep moving, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, wait, yes. we're getting we're, we're getting sidetracked here. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have already established this. If you have questions, listen to the other episodes. You'll get caught up. Okay. Um, okay, so they have, like, a uniform and... And a pledge. And a pledge and, a and a flag and all of this stuff. And like it originally started Basically, as like we're gonna help thing. like end alcoholism and prostitution and gambling and like help the poor people. Right. But like again, it's one of those like things that pisses me off all the time where people want to put a band-aid charity-based solution on a societal systemic problem that is created by hierarchical capitalism and has no interest in the rights of the worker. So what they do with, what they do with sex trafficking and prostitution is actually really interesting. One of the side effects of their political, political agitation around this was they got the age of consent raised from 13 to, Mm -hmm. I believe the original bill was to raise it to 16. Okay. So it was 12. Hang on. Okay. So it raised the age of consent from 13 to 16 years of age. And it made it a criminal offense to abduct a girl under 18 for purposes of carnal knowledge. (laughs) Okay, so, so like, here, here, here's here's where these two things come together. First, there is this movement among the uh, like more like I guess the less religious parts of mm-hmm. political agitation in England at the time to raise the age of consent anyway. Um, but the reason was again protecting little white girls um, was. Right they were trying to protect heiresses from being um, seduced by basically gold diggers who would mm. then have to marry the girls because they deflowered her. Right. If to use all the euphemisms that they would have used. <laughs> um, so in order to do that, they were like, we're going to raise the age of consent so that we can like make this more uh, like make this like something as punishable to protect these little rich right. girls. Right. And and this got so this was the original thing and that was going through the House of Parliament and was kind of being batted around and read on the floor. It never it never got passed. Um so it's just like sitting around being debated and um and they were gonna add some things about like 
broadening the 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 uh, like definitions of like what's punishable for homosexual offenses rather than just like anal sex. It would be like anything vaguely mm-hmm. related to right. indecent it's behavior. It, <laughs> yeah, behavior. It's important to catch all the gays. Catch all the gays. Um, and then there's this other thing that they were trying to do was they're trying to create a legislative process by which they could prosecute prostitutes who had uh, syphilis. So like rather than by like punishing the dudes who might be spreading it, they were right. trying to find a way to criminalize yeah. like well, of passing course, of because <laughs> syphilis. Clearly, clearly it's the women at fault for all the things. Mm-hmm. Not not the men who, you know, may be paid to do this. And and let me just like <clears throat> remind everybody in case you forgot or maybe you didn't know. Kieran, have you ever Googled um, what late stage syphilis looks like? No. Okay, so before before <laughs> antibiotics existed, syphilis was really serious. Google syphilitic skull and tell me what you see. I'm sorry, listeners. Holy shit. What the fuck? <laughs> so what does it look like? It looks like someone it looks like the skull is either like suddenly made of swiss cheese or like there's like a bunch of it looks kind of like the moon but your skull (laughs) yeah it looks like an ant colony made its home in your skull yeah it's it's wild so that's not what skulls are supposed to no so in in order to like explain a little bit why this was so serious like like, it makes sense that this should be, like, a public health crisis because syphilis, once it develops into the late stages, not only does it attack your, your vital organs, but it, like, attacks your bones. Yeah, it's like if your skull had a really bad, like, cystic acne outbreak. And, like, had holes all the way through it. And ha- yeah, like, super bad. Right. So, um, and then it, I believe, eats your brain after that. So... I mean, it's already there. <laughs> we can fact check. You guys can fact check me if you want. But um, but the idea of of this being like a, a public concern is legitimate. Yeah. Punishing the prostitutes who were probably forced into prostitution, which we'll talk about, for it is, you know, kind of fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so all of these things were like designed to protect upper and middle class people from yeah. the scummy low working class problems. Right. And, and so, uh, the Catherine Booth and Josephine Butler and some others were like agitating for like focusing on, um, child prostitution as like a thing that needed to be ended and this is what was called like white slavery um and the idea would be like somebody would be in in debt the parents wouldn't be able to feed their kid or the parents would be uh dead or alcoholic or just deadbeat and the kid would be you know on their own or like with a relative who didn't really want to take care of them or didn't have the money to and what the madam could do would be to or the john would be to like 
purchase right. a virgin girl and sell their like their their deflowering for like a really high price and then like keep them in the house as yep. a regular worker. So um, W.T. Stead, who's this guy we're going to talk a lot about, um, he's a buddy of, of, of the Booths, had been involved with the Salvation Army for a long time, and he's the editor of the Pall Mall Gazette. Um, and what he does next is like really kind of changed how journalism was done. I don't think what he did had been really done before, but it's this yeah. like sensationalist, like, investigative journalism in order to find a certain story to raise a political point. So it's not like you're telling a story straight to tell a story, but it's like this, this moralistic sensationalizing to get political attention on an issue. And you're like telling the story in a very specific way to make it look very flat and one-sided. So you're reading up a little bit on this before we started. What what do you know about what he did? Well, it's sort of a tactic that we see used a lot today now where he was basically like, I'm going to set up this scenario in which someone I know acquires a child to prove that this is something that people do and something that can be done. And that's like, remember, it, it actually reminded me a lot of... Um, when I was growing up in Florida mm-hmm. and um, there were like these string of like old dudes um, like trying to lure teenage girls on the internet and the cops basically set up a whole operation <laughs> where they like pretended to be a teenage girl and then found the old white dudes who were like trying to solicit the girls and then like got them it was basically but, like the that, stings but, like, were 1800s. like hundreds but like the, but like these situations like weren't really as possible as they were making it out to be right and like most of the people who were doing it were cops trying to find it exactly yeah well, it was i mean it was obviously florida stories so. <laughs> well and it also reminds me it, you know it reminded me a lot of the the oh man what is her name the pro-life anti-choice activist who went into Planned Parenthood's? Oh my god! And like recorded it in a way that was like trying to catch them like breaking the law. Yeah, yeah, and she like edited the videos together to make them say things that they didn't actually say. Right, right. Just, so like, they were like together bullshit. Right, it, it's very much like that. Where it's like we're creating a gotcha out of a scenario that like maybe is possibly happening, but like you didn't find it organically you created it artificially and so therefore like its journalistic value is null right it's (laughs) like you made this happen it was elaborate and you made it happen and now you made yourself the criminal by doing it so you just broke the law thank you right so what happens is he (laughs) this fucker (laughs) this guy um is like trying to get this legislation passed right it's just like kind of floundering it hasn't gone anywhere so he's been like so he decides he's going to like write a series about investigating this issue and what he does 
So he like interviews some police and he like interviews some prostitutes. And then what he does is he goes and he buys a child and writes about it. She's 13. Her name's Eliza Armstrong. Um, so he has her examined to prove that she's a virgin, pays five pounds for her, which at that time was like 600 pounds, like our, like our dollars, like our money. Um, like, so he pays five pounds for her, which is about the equivalent of like $600 now. That seems I, I said pounds earlier, but I, I converted it before and it was like around 600. Right. Seems a little. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so then he, 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 he brings her to a brothel, puts her in a room, has her. Um, Which like the brothel, the, the that, like, who's running it is in on this. No, thing. he gets a reformed prostitute who's involved in Salvation Army to go right. and p- procure this girl for him. And then her old brothel is the place where he has this happen. Yes, that's what the connection was. Which is like, yeah, so many layers of fucked up. Um, so they say so they have her like lightly drugged with laudanum, which is an opiate, and <laughs> and he waits until she's like on the edge of waking up, walks in, waits until she wakes up and screams, and then walks out. And it's like, well, that proves that I could have done it um, if I wanted to. And No one was asking that. And then you. he hands her over to the Salvation Army as like an orphan to be taken care of. Now, here's the thing. He told her her mom was a, um, an alcoholic who had some debts and needed the money. Mm-hmm. He told the mom that she was going to be going to um, be a maid in the house of this older dude. Yep. He didn't tell the mom what he was doing with this girl. No. And so he writes this whole story. He frames it as in, I have this friend who did this. He doesn't say he did it. Of course not. Um, and he, he, this is his whole investigation. And it was like, oh, it was the hot news of the day. This was the Tiger King of, <laughs> of 1885. <laughs> like... Everybody was obsessed with this story. Um, the series that he wrote it in, he guess what the title was? What was the title? The Maiden Tribute of Modern Babylon. Wow. It's just like, there's a lot of like illusions there. Yeah. Um, so this, as in, because this, you know, got, you know, into such an uproar, uproar, it prompted Parliament to, like, actually pick this bill back up and pass it. Right. And so what this bill did, once it became law, it, it evolved a little bit, but the, the time it was done, it raised the age of consent from 13 to 16, made it a criminal offense to procure girls for prostitution by administrating drugs, intimidation, or fraud. It punished householders who would permit underage sex on their premises, made it a criminal offense to abduct a girl under 18 for purposes of criminal knowledge. It gave magistrates the power to issue search warrants to find missing females. It gave power to the court to remove a girl from her legal guardians if they condoned her seduction. It provided for summary proceedings to be taken against brothels. It raised the age of felonious assaults to 13 and misdemeanor assaults between 13 and 16, as well as, quote, imbecile women and girls. So we get some disabled representation there. 
and then it criminalized quote gross indecency between males so it like expanded the definition of like homosexual activity yeah, yeah. so that they could prosecute more people of course right so okay i guess that's good like on some levels but like the the hysteria around this was you know like it's not about protecting the working class and like eliminating no. the issues that are causing people to need to do these things. Right. It, it, it didn't get rid of the fact that people still needed to pay their bills and couldn't. No, it's about protecting little white girls virginity. Yeah. And so when it comes out that he, uh, <laughs> so he gets in so much trouble because some of the, because some of his like competitor newspapers start telling his, like, that he was the one who bought the girl. Right. In order they to do They did their own investigative They did their own investigative journalism. <laughs> they proved that he was the one who, like, drugged her. They proved that he was the one who, like, bought her. Yeah. And that, you know, he basically sold her to the Salvation Army, you know, for yeah. their own, you know, care afterward. And so he's, like, his credibility is just shot. And... He and his accomplices, which include Booth, they right. get charged with assault and abduction of Eliza Armstrong because, and her parents testify that, like, she had not, they, they had not consented to selling the daughter into prostitution. She was just supposed to be a maid, and mm-hmm. that the father was ne- had never gave consult- consent for the entire thing at all. Ha. So, so he goes and is imprisoned. Oops. And he's he's uh, imprisoned as a first class inmate. And guess what he writes about his time in prison? What? Never had I a pleasanter holiday, a more charming season of repose. Jesus, white people. <laughs> so, um, I went to I went to prison, and it was. Fine. I had a comfy bed. His other his other accomplices get like more, serve more time and like like have to do hard labor and stuff. Um, I yeah, think, well, I don't like think the... Booth was I don't think Booth was convicted, but like everybody else was like like the prostitute who was involved in yeah, helping like him. The prostitute had a much harsher sentence, from, yeah, or like time, right? Because and, like didn't uh, Catherine like write on her behalf and on behalf of like yeah because she was part of the Salvation Army now and she mm-hmm. was like hey you should let her go because like mm-hmm. someone else got bail and mm-hmm. she didn't get mm-hmm. bail mm-hmm. Um, and here's where I you know have to believe in karma just a little bit T.W. Stead died on the Titanic <laughs> I just love that uh, oh it's so good amazing so like this this whole thing like sets up this idea of like the Salvation Army as this like has this moral high ground in like changing you know politics for the better. Um, I have the the, the SalvationArmy.org page about this whole story. Do you want to yeah. read it <laughs> or read parts of it? <laughs> Give how they 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 frame the whole story. Yeah, I'll go ahead and I'll just read it because, like, the their synopsis did not give me as much information as um, the 
CBE International page did, which was quite the yeah. Way. No, this is this is it, it is a very different story the way they tell it. Yeah. All right. So here is here is the SalvationArmy.org's maiden tribute story, titled "The Army's History in Fighting Sexual Trafficking." Mrs. Josephine Butler was the wife of a scholarly Anglican clergyman and one of the noblest, most heroic English women of her time. In the 1880s, she risked wild and brutal opposition on a vigorous crusade to change laws which were grossly unfair to women and resulted in many young girls being trafficked for sex. When the Salvation Army began its battle on behalf of the younger section of the country's womanhood, Mrs. Josephine Butler saw the army as her, and this is in italics, answer to prayer, and wrote Mrs. Bramwell Booth saying, Nothing but a mighty spiritual power permeating a well-considered, wisely organized scheme will prevail against this passion in men to subdue armies of women for the service of lust. And in the Salvation Army is that wonderful spiritual power. End quote. She saw the army as an answer to prayer. However, it was not until some time later when one of these unfortunate girls was found early one morning curled on the steps of 101. Desperate the headquarters. Help. Yeah desperately seeking help and refuge from the brothel in which she had been enslaved, that Bramwell Booth had was stirred to take bold action. Pause. What a white dude thing. Like, you don't care about this issue until it's literally on your doorstep, and then you're like, oh, I guess we got to do something about this. Right, yeah. Then it's like, oh, no, this is bad. It's I, I can't not look at it. Okay. All right. The story of Britain's maiden tribute and the important role the army played is well known, but it is worth noting that the strategy in dealing with the evil was used was to use friends and influential supporters of the army, including the press, to gather evidence, publishing and shaming the monsters, perpetuate, per, perpetrating, sorry, mm. perpetrating the trade, and being prepared to lobby petition and ultimately suffer imprisonment to change the law. The effects and influence of this action has had far-reaching impact upon the rights of women and children to this very day. The army's work was not confined to what now would be called advocacy, but it was matched by its practical work with re with refuges for women and girls in the UK and other parts of the world. This prag this pragmatism has sparked. I can totally read right now. <laughs> this pragmatism has marked the army's activities through the years. I'll take over. This yeah, <laughs> you're drying up. Um, the Salvation Army has taken a leadership position within the United States where they were among a coalition of faith-based and other organizations that worked to pass the Trafficking Victims Protection Act, a measure which became law in October 2000. You remember that? Vaguely. Yeah. Okay, it keep was going. A long I'm gonna, time ago. Yeah, I'm going to keep going. <laughs> Additionally, the Salvation Army has assumed the leadership of the Initiative Against Sexual Trafficking, IAST, a partnership of faith-based human rights, child and women's rights advocacy organizations and is working very closely in advocacy with the U.S. government and others attempting to tackle the problem. Moreover, there is active engagement to develop recovery services for survivors of sexual trafficking in such places as India, Tanzania, uh, Switzerland, Australia, the Netherlands, the U.K., Canada, Bangladesh, and Ghana. The Army is working with women caught up in commercial sex. In these programs, there is likely to be involvement with women and girls involved in trafficking but they are not specifically targeted. This may be a silent ministry due to the nature of the problem. In some countries, the problem is not even recognized. It would be true to say that there, that where poverty alleviation, income generation, and microcredit programs are underway, the army is offering an alternative to communities vulnerable to the lures of traffickers. However, there is little evidence of any specific 
Salvation Army program, either practically tackling the problem in a country from which the women and children are being trafficked, countries of transit, or in a receiving country where they are being exploited and no transterritorial, transnational collaboration is found within reports received. All in all, it is the author's conclusion that the Salvation Army is historically, practically, and ideally suited to combating this terrible human trade. The words of Josephine Butler have been frequently reiterated in correspondence and interviews from passionately concerned individuals and organizations as they see the, the Army as a answer to prayer. <laughs> that... I'm, I'm laughing. Really say anything. I'm laughing not because it's funny, but I'm laughing because like this is such a great piece of spin. Yeah. Like yeah. they sought out evidence and lobbied around. Like fuck, no, you didn't. No. <laughs> also, <laughs> okay, so evidence you make doesn't count as finding it. Uh, <laughs> and okay, so like if you're helping. If you want to help a sex trafficking victim, like, what? God. Um, like, what actually would help someone who is doing sex work to pay off the debt? Which is, I think, what a lot of these are. You know, the actual, any kind of actual trafficking is usually centered around that. Yeah, like money, maybe. Removing the debt, removing the need, mm-hmm. like eliminating the thing that someone is doing to fill the need does not make the need go away. Right. Well, and a lot of these, okay, so the concept of like sex trafficking, like we have this idea of what it is, like kind of taken style. Right. Or or like what this guy did. But what what is actually how sex trafficking usually works? Like, it's not, it's not stranger danger. It's, it's people you know. Right. It's, like, your immediate community, your parents, your grandparents, like, people you're in contact with all the time. It can be, like, a boyfriend. I think this is the story that, yeah. I, like, I've, so I'm, I'm going to credit my, my source here. Like, I'm, I'm pulling a lot from Michael Hobbs, who is a reporter um, and co-host of the podcast You're Wrong About, and they have a really, really good as episode on human trafficking which is his like research specialty and he he wrote um a piece in the huffington post about this and i'll I'll, we'll post a link to it but one of the things that he gets into is like a lot of this is like actually just like someone's homeless and addicted um and they're trying to get some help or like they're it's a couple and they're both homeless and addicted and like the the guy's pressuring the the girl to make money this way yeah. Um, or you're with a sleazy guy and he is like, you know, Hey, I've got this fetish. Like you should fuck another guy while I watch or what, like, you know, like I want you to like have sex yeah. with this other person and they'll be like taking money and like, you won't be aware that like they're taking money in exchange for what you're doing. Right. So it's like, you know, there's this idea of like, you know, we're going to like kids are being you know, taken across the country on planes with people who aren't their parents and kids are being drugged and like, you know, women are being kept locked up and, and like, usually like the, the, the situations that are uncovered are, are exacerbated by like cops creating 
worst situations in order to set yeah. up a sting operation or yeah. like the economic situation of the the people involved is like they're immigrant women and they're staying there and they're not being held captive there but you like because they're living at the place where they're working like maybe part-time mm-hmm. to like reduce the commute or something something like that yeah it's created into this idea of like oh they were held hostage and it's not true and you have these like like awareness campaigns of like how to spot a trafficking victim is not yeah it's not real like the things that they tell you to look for are not what actually is happening nope and i guess where i'm going with all this is like international justice mission which was a big deal in the in like early aughts um yeah. when we were graduating high school late aughts and is there a Christian NGO you have to like you're one of those organizations that you have to sign a very strict statement of faith in order to be employed there and you have they've got mandatory um employee prayer times at lunch that you have to be part of a prayer group it's very it's very it's a lot yeah. um what do you what do you what do they do what do you know about IJM like I remember that they were really, really popular in in my churches. And their whole, like their biggest mission anyway, is about sex trafficking and trying to stop that. And a lot of it is based in bullshit. Clearly, so a lot of the stuff that they do is they work with police. Of course. Rather than working with sex workers. And when they like help the police set up a sting and then they go and they take the women out of the situation and, and they put them through programs that they're set up Mm -hmm. or like with Christian organization, local Christian organizations. Um, And so like the women have to go through these like recovery programs or treatment programs that are like religious indoctrination. Yep. Rather than giving them like, any sort of job skills or like, yep. like micro loans yep. or like any kind of connections or that would like actually Anything help them. That would give them agency. Anything pragmatic. Yeah. So they're going from one kind of like coercive situation into another and it's just like sex or religion. Take a pick. Yep. Um, yep. But one of the things that was happening with inter- international justice mission, and there was an investigation about this. I, I, I don't have in front of me, but I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes where it was uncovered that basically the, <laughs> the the naive, well-intentioned white saviorist white people running these organizations were being had by the cops in these locales where they were working. I think this particular situation was maybe in Bangladesh, Southeast Asia somewhere, and they like they were paying money to like the donations of people back in the States were going toward like paying these organizations to help them get these women out. And what was happening Mm -hmm. was like, they were just being like, the women were basically being recycled. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was like, it was a, it was a like sex worker laundering operation in order to keep getting the money from IJM. Wow. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Very vaguely. And it's just like, again, this kind of gets back to, like, some of the things that, like, after Peace Corps, I get really mad about with, like, development work and, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, if the initiative is not coming from the community, if it's coming from an outsider and it's top-down and it's not organic, 
Yeah. Like grassroots mobilization around an issue. Like it's always going to ignore the actual need and it's never going to actually treat the real problem, which is in a lot of these situations, it's like global capitalism has exploited this country so much that like they are devastatingly poor. Yep. And people are doing this. Yeah. Like, Fuck you. Yeah, and this is like, not like, where your white dollars need to go. About it, and their whole all they're doing is keeping the problem going because they're not interested in solving the problem. They just want the credit to make it look like they care. Right. They just want to make themselves look good. Like, oh, we're yeah. having a fun drive at our Christmas service for International Justice Mission. Yeah. We are helping human trafficking victims all over the globe. Yeah. yeah. Like there's a whole there's all the like performative movements that are like, oh, I'm gonna wear like whatever for like a month to raise awareness about sex trafficking but Mm -hmm. that doesn't like actually help the people who are like struggling to get by and doing this work for whatever reason it is Mm -hmm. or and it doesn't help them escape that situation if they don't want to be in it like it doesn't it just is like oh i'm I'm doing this because I care. Well, and, like, and it's like, cool, but you could actually help. Me. Well, and it, they, these kinds of groups, once they start lobbying, start, they create legislations like, uh, Sista Fosta, which has oh, essentially God. like driven sex workers off of yeah. safe internet platforms where they could screen their clients. Right. Before meeting them and putting them back on the street because they can't yep. use the internet to, procure clients they have to do it in person again and it means they're back in the hands of their johns like it's taking agency away from them in in this like performative like we're helping this problem right it's such bullshit it's like maybe if you listen to the people who were doing the work and asked them what they needed you could be effective but that's not the conversation we're having right and like you think about it like okay so this this kid eliza like (laughs) what if they had just like helped the mother pay off her debts and get sober. Right. Like they could have had a fundraiser for that, given that they're nice white ladies. They, they could have raised donations, for, right? Like, but instead, they had to remove her from her family. And I don't think she was ever reunited with her family, as far as I know. Um, but well, like, I mean, of course not. She was bought by someone else. So why? Well, why even after the back? court case. Yeah. Um, I think she was like put with the Salvation Army in France and they raised her after that. But like. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> so much for your family values, fuckers. Right. It's like, well, now we own this person. So I guess we'll keep them. That's so bad. Sure. So this is why I've been so like emphatic about like, I need to talk about this. <laughs> like, yeah. This is connects yeah. to everything. Oh, so many things. And and I really do want to encourage you guys to like go listen to that You're Wrong About episode because yeah. it's really good. And it, it gets at all the things that like, you know, have irritated me about this, this culture of, you know, elevating white female purity and rec- rescuing sex workers that is just like completely fabricated. Yeah. Like none of this is, is, is in any kind of helpful direction. No, it's just it's just performative. It's for entirely self-serving. Yeah. 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 So the Salvation Army is bad for so many reasons. Well, they're, they're incredibly homophobic. It, like, we haven't even gotten into any of that. But, like, this particular yeah. piece of history is just like, oh, my God, can you yeah. not? Yeah. 
Yeah, this is this is just on top of their racist, homophobic bullshit that they peddle and like all the steps that you have to do to get aid and like be a part of their club. Like they're bad. They're bad. Mm-hmm. They're so bad. So fuck the Salvation Army. Um if you have shit you need to donate, <laughs> donate literally anywhere else. <laughs> Except Goodwill, because they're also Give it to, like, donate to a food bank. Like, I don't know. Go to, like, a locally run thrift There are no buy groups on Facebook that you can do for your area where you can, like, donate your stuff and people will come to your house and get it. And it's great. Yeah. Or, like, if you live in an apartment building, we have a free stuff piano and a free section in our basement. Like, drop your stuff there. Give it to your neighbors ask around like your friends network hey do you need this start like a right because you know little socially distant swap day right because mutual aid when it's based off of like using a middleman to keep your hands clean is like a very classist idea where you're not actually like involved in you know actually interacting with the people you think you're helping right you know what i want to talk about next time Mrs. America. Yes, yes, we should. I'm gonna I talk about Phyllis Schlafly. The first episode or two, I need to catch up. Okay, I'm just putting a pin in that so I don't forget. Yes, next time. Next time, whenever that may be, hopefully sooner than a month. Yeah, I, I think I think like we'll be able to do this again. Like I've got classes starting up in two weeks again for the summer course if I still have it. If if uh, enough students enroll, but. That'll be one class rather than three. Yes, that'll be helpful. Yeah. Um, okay, so you guys have been so great in supporting us while we disappeared for a month. Um, we understand that some of you guys may have like cash flow changes. Um, and if you need to bail on the Patreon for a little bit or or you know, keeps like that's fine. We get it. Support us if you want, if you can. Um, we're we're gonna continue to put these episodes up for free um, for everybody for like the first week um, before they go into the archive. But if you've you know been around, you've been supporting the through the Patreon, and you um, you can't stay on there, please just let us know, and we'll help you access their archive. Like we don't yeah. want this to be prohibitive to people. Um, we really appreciate any and all support you guys have for us. Yeah. And now there's a Slack. So if you want to hang out with us when we're not recording and see all of the cute animal photos <laughs> and vent about whatever, um, the information of that is on our Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash kitchen table cult pod. Um, and, and on yeah. our Zazzle store, we've added, we had a request from a listener in Germany for, um, the, I am not a walking womb logo, uh, or icon, um, to be put on a t-shirt rather than on just a hoodie. So we've gone ahead and done, done that. So that should be pretty good. Actually, it's on a tank top, but I think you can change it to be a t-shirt, um, if you go through the selections. So that's zazzle.com forward slash store forward slash kitchen table cult. We have the option to make face masks on there. So if you guys have ideas for designs or like phrases that we could put up there, um, shoot us an email. 
you know, yeah. tweet us, let us know. We could do some fun stuff there. Yeah, you can find all of the information on how to email us on our Zazzle shop, on Patreon, at our website, which is kitchentablecult.com. And um, thank you, Dave, for editing this podcast. And as always, the music is from the band The Heavens and their album Stenazzo. Thanks so much for joining us. Stay safe. Bye. Wear your masks. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs)